Thank you very much. The main uh, um, context where the Gemara quotes this principle of Dina Machus Adina is with respect to paying taxes. Um, there are different understandings of what uh, the obligation to pay taxes is based on. And the opinion that's not accepted is what all the Yeshiva Barcham know from the run and his commentary on the Dorim. The people don't know the first 25 blot in the Dorim. They don't know the last uh, 70 blot in the Dorim. They only know one run in the middle of the Dorim, Adav Chavches, where the run quotes Taisus, that the principle of Din and the Machus, that you're obligated to pay tax, is based on uh, rent. If I have an apartment for rent and you want to move into the apartment, you have to pay rent. So the land of the United States belongs to the American government, and the land of Britain belongs to the British government, and the land of France belongs to the French government, and they have a right to charge rent. If you want to live in that country, you've got to pay rent. So how much are they charging for rent? Income tax. Whatever tax they charge is the rent. So if you're not going to pay the rent, so you're ganaf. You have no right to live in their uh, country. So the Iran quotes in the name of the Baliatai says, this only applies to all other countries in the world except for Eretz Yisrael. The Rabban Shalom is the Balabas over Eretz Yisrael, and he invites all of his children, all of Bnei Yisrael, to live in Eretz Yisrael. So what shaykh, which government has the right to charge us rent? The Rabban Shalom told us, Kili kol haaretz. So the Svarno comments on that Pasik, every country belongs to the king, the government of that country, except for Eretz Yisrael. Kili kol haaretz. Eretz Yisrael belongs to the Rabban Shalom. Rabban Shalom tells us we all have a right to live in Eretz Yisrael, rent-free. So there's no deed in the Machus in Eretz Yisrael. You don't have to pay any taxes in Eretz Yisrael. So all Yeshiva Bachm know this. The Ran and the Dorn quotes the Taisis. In Shulchan Aruch, we have a lot of times different opinions are quoted. Sometimes an opinion is uh, given honorable mention and it's rejected. This opinion is not only not accepted, it's not even mentioned. It doesn't have honorable mention. The Shulchan Aruch, in different sections, the Shulchan Aruch quotes from different Rishonim. And this section, the Shulchan Aruch, is quoting directly verbatim from the Rambam. And the Rambam writes that even in Chutzlor, it's not only in Eretz Yisrael does the government have a right, does the Jewish government in Eretz Yisrael have a right to charge tax. Even in Chutzlor, it's the non-Jewish government also has the right to charge tax. So why is it even in Chutzlor, why is it in Eretz Yisrael? For sure the government has a right to charge tax and even in Chutzlor. So the only going in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch writes... And this appears already in Rishonim before, centuries before the Vilna Gun, that the principle of Dina Machus Adina, that the government has a right to charge tax, is based on the Posig and Sefer Shmuel. When Bnei Yisrael requested of Shmuel Hanovi that they would like to have a king who should judge them and run the country, like all the other nations in the world, they don't want, just, they don't want to have Nevi'im, they don't want to just have Shoptim, they want to have a king, a real full-fledged government. So the response of Shmuel Anavi is, what's wrong with me? I'm Anavi, you rejected my, you're rejecting my leadership. And then he says, he gives them a whole list of the, of the evils of the king. He warns them in advance what's going to happen if they have a king. The king is going to charge taxes, and the king is going to draft their children into the army. And the king is going to take their daughters and make them cook for him. And his king is going to take a lot of pilakshim. He'll take their daughters and marry them. The king's going to marry a lot, of, a lot of girls. And he warns the people all the evils of the king. So the Talmud has a dispute between Rabbi Shmuel and the second parak in Sanhedrin regarding the whole drasha that Shmuel gives the Bnei Yisrael. This is called Parsha Samelech, this chapter in Sefer Shmuel. 
Do we assume that Kol Melech Melech these are legitimate rights of the king, or are these the evils of the king? The things that the king doesn't have the right to do, and he does Shalokidin. So the accepted opinion is like Shmuel. Machlek is Rabbi Shmuel, and Didimamun is we Paschal like Shmuel. Kol Melech Melech these are all legitimate things that the king has a right to do. So that's what the Vilna Gaon says, that this is Shmuel Ushitosa. Shmuel is the one who says in the Gemara, he's the one who's always quoted as saying, Dina the Machus that the government has a right to charge taxes. This is Shmuel Ushitosa. He's the one who says, Kol Melech, Melech Mutabo. So the original Parshas Melech is when Bnei Yisrael wanted a, a, kill, a king ruling over Eretz Yisrael. So the Shmuel in the Gemara says that not only does the Parshas HaMelech apply to the king ruling over Eretz Yisrael, it applies even to a non-Jewish king ruling over Bavl, or a non-Jewish government ruling over America, or over any other country in the world. <clears throat> so Dina the Machusa, the original Dina, applies in Eretz Yisrael. So this opinion that the run, it's a fascinating idea, that the theory behind uh, the right of the government to charge taxes uh, rent, because the land of each country belongs to that government and they have a right to charge you rent and the income tax is the rent. Whoever is not paying income taxes in violation of Shol Shalamidas, he's living in, in the country of the government without permission. It's a nice theory, but that's not the accepted sheet. We pass on Allah that Dina al certainly applies in Eretz Yisrael and even applies in Chutz Laaretz. Today, truth of the matter is, that you don't even have to come on to this explanation that the Vilna Goen developed, that Dina Machusa is binding based on Kol Homa Parshas Melech, Melech Mutabo, in the Shulchan Aruch Nechoshim Mishpot, as well as in Arachayim, you have uh, the following din, that if you have a lot of people living in a community and they need a shul, so they can force each other to chip in money to construct a shul. They need a mikveh, they need a yeshiva, they need a day school, they need a rabbi, they need a chazan. Shulchanach, they think you need a rabbi more than you need a chazan. Shulchanach was written by rabbis. So the Shulchanach thinks that you need a rabbi more than you need a chazan. So if you don't have, you don't have enough money to hire a rabbi and a chazan, the Shulchanach assumes you've got to hire the rabbi and forget about the chazan. Whatever it is, all of the needs, that the community needs a, an Arif. So the, those, who, those who feel that they need an Arif can force those who feel they don't need an Arif to chip in to pay for the Erev, to chip in to pay for the Shul, for the Mikveh, and so on. Why? So in Shulchan Aruch, this is an Orachim Hilchus Beis HaKnesis, and the commentaries refer you to Choshe Mishpan, Hilchus Shutfim. All the people who live in a community who share certain needs together are considered Shutfim, even though we never joined anything. We were born into the community, or we moved in, but we never signed any contract that we're becoming Shutfim. Let's say five people decide they want to become shutfim in a, in a shoe company. We manufacture shoes or we sell shoes. And we do so well, we made so much profit this year, three out of the five decide we want to open another branch in Paris and another branch in London because we're doing so well, we want to make more money. In order, to make, in order to open another branch, we can't take any profits from this year. We have to give back all the, all the revach that we earned this year. We have to put it back into the business in order to make this additional branch in Paris, an additional branch in, in London. And, and uh, let's say uh, it's four to one. So four the Shutfim want to open another branch, and they say, no one should take any revach this year. Let's all put all the money back, and let's put more money in the, into the business in order we should open another branch. And the one out of the five Shutfim doesn't want to. So the Shulchan Aruch says, 
that Acherab Lahatas, the Pasuk in Chumash that says Acherab Lahatas in Mishpatim doesn't only apply to a group of Dayanim who constitute a Bezdin, it applies to Shutfim in a, in a company. And the Vilna Goyen says the source is in a Tosefta. And whenever you have a Shutfis, you have to make a decision in one way, one direction or the other. So the Rabbim, the majority wins in making the decision. Once the decision is made by the majority of the shareholders of the Shutfis, Let's say one person owns 70% of the shutfus and the other four people only own 30%. So he has 70% of the votes. Okay? So who, once you have the majority of the votes, it's not necessarily going to be one vote to each person. It depends what percentage of the shutfus each one has. But once the majority of the votes come in, and they decided that they want to put more money into the business in order to expand, so then the halacha says... The, we can force the minority, we can force the meal to put money into the business. If they're not happy about that decision, let them sell their share in the business to somebody else. So the Shulchan Aruch applies this to the dinam of forcing the other people in the community to build a mikveh, to build a shul, to hire a rabbi, whatever needs they share in common. Even though we never signed the contract, we never became shutfim, the Allah says all the people who live in a community share certain needs together. They're all considered shutfim balkarcham, whether they like it or not. And sometimes the majority, usually the majority rules, and sometimes the minority wins. Shulchanach says sometimes, let's say, less than 50% of the people want to build a shul. And more than 50% of the people say, let's dive in every Shabbos in someone else's home. We don't want to spend money on a shul. So it says the Shulchan based on Toseftas, based on passages in the Gemara, that sometimes the minority wins. The Mi'ud Kimikai for the Rabbim to build the shul and to hire a rabbi and so on, because they have the Gerech Tataina. When you can't tell one way or the other who's right and who's wrong, should we expand the business and, and make a branch in Paris and London or not? So uh, you are right and you're right. So the majority wins. But if it's clear who's right, then the halacha says that the niyot can be for the rabbi. So it's really based on... Uh, uh, we have dinam and shulchan aruch, we have dinam and tosefta that are based on the premise that all the people who share needs together in common are considered shud. So basically, uh, those who live in New Jersey are shudfim on a municipal level, on a state level, and on a, on a national level. There are certain needs at the national that the federal government takes care of. They, de- they deliver mail. Everybody wants to have the mail delivered. And then you have uh, garbage collection, and you have uh, water purification, and so on, things that are taken care of by the municipality. Then you have things that are taken care of by the state. And everybody wants all of these things. I don't need the public schools, but the majority of the people who live in New Jersey and New York do need the public schools. I can't say, well, I don't want to chip in to pay for the public schools. Every time you have a shut for so the minority is going to say, I'm not interested in that. So the minority can't, can't paralyze the whole shut Whatever the majority says uh, wins. That's the Pasuk Lahata. So the majority of the, of the shareholders in New Jersey do want public schools. The majority of the shareholders do want... Uh, government museums and government highways and so on and so forth. So the Allah says that the majority wins and all of the miyot is mechuyiv to pay. So basically the taxes today, if you live in a, in a um, democratic country, the taxes are just going, they're not really going to enrich the king. Years ago, the whole purpose of the taxes was just to enrich the king. You didn't really get too much services. Uh, the services that you got from the king didn't really correspond to the amount of money that you paid in taxes. The purpose of the tax was just to enrich the king. So the Rishadim had to go fishing around for a source in Tanakh. Where does it say, why, why are the people mukhif to pay taxes? But today, it's Pashat. All of the people who live anywhere in a democratic country, 
are all considered shutfim, and they have to pay, the, the, the taxes are just collected in order to cover the budget of the, of the local government, of the municipal government, the state government, and the national government. So it's simply a din of shutfis, and whoever doesn't pay taxes is not stealing from the Goyish government. He's stealing from all the other shutfim. Let's say you have the five shutfim who have the shoe company or the shoe store, whatever it is. And, uh, and one wise guy does want to pay his share. So he's stealing from the other shutfim. So whoever doesn't pay taxes in America, in any democratic country, is a ganaf, not stealing from the government. The government is just running the whole show over here. He's stealing from the other people. He's making me pay more taxes. The people who do pay taxes have to pay higher taxes because of the ganavim who are not paying. Of course, in Shulchan Aruch it says that we only apply the rule of uh, one is obligated to pay taxes if it's Dina de Malchusa, if it's Chamsanusa de Malchusa, if it's Gazlanusa de Malchusa, if the taxes are unfair, the taxes are discriminatory, then it's, it's not fair, so you're not Mokhif to pay taxes. So those who argue the point, well, the State Department is always opposed to Eretz Yisrael, so therefore we're not Mokhif to pay federal taxes. I don't think that's considered being discriminatory against the Jews. And if a person feels that the government is unfair, so let him move to another country. Because, man, you live in America, the American government, we elected the congressman, everybody elects the congressman, the congressmen make all these decisions, the State Department and so on, these are all elected officials. So it's not, the, the laws are not discriminatory. The taxes are not discriminatory, the laws are not discriminatory, they don't make the Jews pay more taxes than the non-Jews. The taxes are graduated taxes. Whoever earns a higher amount of income has to pay a higher percentage. There's a source for this in Mishnayis. That's not considered discriminatory against the wealthier people. The post can point out that there are sources in Mishnayis pay for this, that one who earns more money should pay a higher amount of taxes. This is not really considered Chamsanusa de Malchusa or Gazlanusa de Malchusa. These are fair laws under the communists. Whatever laws they had were always considered Chamsanusa de Malchusa, and the Rabbani used to say that none of the laws of the communist government are, are binding. Everything was unfair. The whole, the whole institution of the government, the whole thing was big neighbor. But in America, it's a pretty democratic country and everything is pretty fair. Uh, strictly speaking, like the rabbi mentioned previously, whoever doesn't pay taxes is really considered a ganav, not just shtick. He's really considered a ganav. I remember there was a chassidish yid who davened in the shtibel near me in Washington Heights. And he used to brag, he was in diamonds, he used to brag that when he fills out, he, he was in diamonds, all of his business is done in cash. He used to brag to everybody that he had a very big family. He used to brag that he fills out his tax form, he writes that he makes $60,000 a year, and he has uh, three children, and they never checked him, they never bothered to check him. Until, I remember, the Gulf War, when uh, a whole group of people went on the... On the plane, the boys and girls from Stern College and Yeshiva went on the plane to Eretz Yisrael, the first Gulf War, the first Mahadura. And they, they were, the, uh, Saddam Hussein was dropping uh, missiles over Eretz Yisrael. So I remember we had to sit in the Cheder Atum uh, and listen and wait till uh, the all clear, until they said on the news that you can go out, that uh, they stopped uh, dropping the missiles. So I remember in the different rooms in Eretz Yisrael, so sometimes they had on a radio that only had the news about what's happening with the missile. Sometimes I had regular world news on. So I remember once we were sitting in, in uh, the Cheder Atum there, and uh, they have on the news, I think they said that American Airlines is going bankrupt, and they want to sell their whole business. And this fellow from Washington Heights offered to buy the business. The guy who only makes $60,000 a year and has their three children, 
So he offered to buy the business. So the government started investigating him. So they made him pay all the back taxes that he never paid. He thought he was going to get away with not paying taxes and declaring that he only makes $60,000 a year. He's offering to buy American Airlines. The whole thing was a joke. So it's a shanda that a Jew, a chsidish Jew, a yid, davens in the shtibel. He wouldn't daven in a regular shul. Davens davken a chsidish shtibel. He's not embarrassed to say that he's a ganav. Strictly speaking, a ganav is posseleidus. One is machal shabbos, is a machloikas abai verover. One who doesn't keep kosher is a machloikas in the Gemara. We paskin is also posseleidus, but the one who is posseleidus, according to what it says in Chumash explicitly, is a, is a ganav. A ganav who cheats in business. A ganav who, who doesn't pay taxes is the one who is posseleidus. The mazel is that, unfortunately, so many people cheat on income tax. The Gemara has a, a clause, the Gemara has a rule, that if a person does Ganevish Ishtik, we'll call it, if a person gamvis in such a way that he says, eh, everybody cheats a little bit. The President of the United States cheats on his income tax. The judges, the, the, the congressmen, everybody cheats here and there on income tax. So the Gemara says, Aganif Nissen and Aganif Tishrei, certain seasons of the year when on the farm they're bringing in so many bushels full of Paris. So uh, some of the workers will help themselves to a little extra, much more than they're entitled to. So you can't say that the postulators, because the Moirahet, they, they know it's, they know it's Geneva B'mezid, but because they read in Zechayim, they're talking into themselves that it's not so big, it can't be so big because everybody's doing it. So we say that's in a certain sense considered a Ganef B'shegig and he's not postulators. So if a person cheats in an in a, in, in a absolutely outrageous fashion on income tax, tax is postulatist. If he cheats a little bit here, a little bit there, he's absolutely in violation of Geneva, and he's mukhiv to make good, he's mukhiv to give back the money, because he's gambling from all the other Eden, from all the people, uh, forget about Gezalakim, he's, he's stealing from the Eden, Sinishkin Gezalakim. But still, it's hard to say that such a person is postulatist, because uh, in a certain sense, he's Meirahetar. The Talmud has another application of the principle of Dina de Malchus Adina. The government has the right to penalize Abar Yonim. Let's say someone, I'm a judge, or I'm chosen to be a member of a jury, and they want to judge a certain person, a Jew or a non-Jew, whether he should sit in prison, or whether he should get the death penalty, whatever. The government has a right and an obligation to maintain law and order. That's the responsibility of every government. And the government has the right to give the death penalty to anyone who violates any one of the Sheva Mitzvahs. If a person, uh, let's say, is going to lake tefillin and the government wants to put him in prison for laking tefillin, so I'm not allowed to participate in, in, such, a, in such an activity. That's terrible. But if a person is a ganif, and, and the halacha says that benoyach is nerak al-gezel, benoyach is nerak on any one of the Sheva Mitzvahs, and the government has the right to put someone to death or to put someone in prison, whatever einish they think is necessary, whether it's a Jew or a non-Jew. So there's no prohibitions, no violation of our course. If I'll be the judge in such a criminal case, if I'll be a member of the jury, that's per- perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with it. The Gemara tells this story about Rabbi Lezeb, Rabbi Shimon, the son of the town of Rabbi Shimon Bayichoi, who stayed with his father in the cave for so many years studying Zohar and studying uh, Mishnayis. His father was a Tana Reb Shimon. He was a Tana Rabbi Lezeb, Rabbi Shimon. So after he came out of the cave, what did he do for a living? So the Gemara says he acted as a policeman for the Roman government, special for the Jewish people. They needed someone who spoke Yiddish, because the Roman policeman didn't speak Yiddish, so he couldn't catch any Yiddish Aganovim. He spoke Lashon Kodesh, but whatever, whatever language it was. So the Gemara tells the way he would arrest 
Blessed Reb Shimon was saying the way he would arrest the Jewish criminals, whoever would, if he heard that there was a Geneva overnight, so he would look by breakfast time in the cafes who would be yawning, who didn't get a good night's sleep, who's tired. So if it was a person who seems to be a Tamachacham, he assumed he was probably up late learning, he didn't do any criminal activities. But if it was a guy who's not a Tamachacham, he would assume, ah, he must have been the Ganav, he must have made the Geneva last night. He would arrest these people, if he knew there was a Geneva the night before, he would arrest them, and he would give them the death penalty, based on circumstantial evidence. Wow. And he says he was never wrong. He says every single case, and sometimes the, sometimes the defendants were screaming at him, it's not true, we're innocent, we're innocent, and it turned out that they were guilty of every crime. His circumstantial evidence was always correct. So the Gemara says, Eliyahu Anavi once appeared to him, this Rablazib Reb Shimon, this Tan, and he said, what kind of a job is that for a nice Jewish boy? A policeman for the Roman government. So he said, no, he wants to clean out the Jewish community. We have too many criminals. So Eliyahu Anavi tells Rablazib Reb Shimon, the Kerem Yisrael, the Jewish vineyard, Yoba Bala Kerem, Yichalas HaKotzim and HaKerem. Let the Rabbani Shalom come and clean out his vineyard. It's not right that a Jewish boy should have such a job. Okay. So if he can get a better job, he's unto hate. But he didn't tell him that it's a violation of Mesira. So the Shita Mekubetz is quotes from the Ritvoi. See, that there's no violation of Mesira over here. The government has a right and an obligation to maintain law and order, to punish people who deserve punishment, either with death penalty based on circumstantial evidence or imprisonment, whatever. And there's no violation if a Jew helps out. If that's your Parnassus, strictly speaking, there's no violation. There is a third area where we apply... Uh, every government has to have a system of law. We have a whole Chosha Mishpat. Uh, is everything in the Chosha Mishpat binding on the non-Jews? Or does each non-Jewish government have to establish its own system, its own legal system? So the Ramban in his commentary on Chumash has this famous uh, idea, and there's a Tshuva like that, that the non-Jews have to follow every single Sif in Shulchan Aruch. In fact, the Ramoah has a very startling uh, Chiddush. The Ramoah's cousin was the um, Maharam Padua, who lived in uh, Italy, and he published a new edition of the Rambam. And then a non-Jew, he was for, for, charging a fortune of money to sell his new edition of the Rambam. And then there was a non-Jew who took the... He didn't have a copyright on the Rambam. He, he didn't write the Rambam. And then there was a Nanju who took the old edition of the Ramam and reprinted it, and he was selling it for less than the edition of the Maharam Padua. So the Shaila was, does anyone, does the Nanju have a right to sell his Rambam? It's going to cause a hefzid moment to the Maharam Padua, because he invested an awful lot of money in, his, in the printing of his edition of the Rambam, and he wrote corrections, he wrote Hagos on the Ram. So the Ramor was his cousin. He didn't hide the fact that it was his relative. And he wrote a whole shuvah supporting his cousin, Maram Padua, that the Nochri has no right, the Jews are not allowed to buy the other edition of the Rambam. You have to first let the Maram Padua sell out all of his editions, all of his copies of his printing on the Rambam, then the non-Jew can sell. So he gives six or seven different reasons why. So one of the reasons he gives is based on this Ramban HaChumish, that the non-Jews have to observe Dinim, what's included in Dinim. One of the Shevim Mitzvahs bin Enoach is Dinim, what's included. So the Ramban in his commentary HaChumish writes, all of the Chof, Talit, Ovis, and Zikin are included in Dinim. It's very difficult because Chof, Talit, Ovis, and Zikin include Oynes, and Mephatah, Motsi, Shemra, and Kefal, and Dalvei. It's Knas. The Gemara said, Beferish, that the non-Jews don't have to pay Knas. They only pay Mom and they don't pay Knas. So that part of the Ramban is very problematic. But the Ramah quotes this Ramban HaChumish, 
And he says, the non-Jews have to follow everything that it says in Chosh Mishpat. They don't have to follow what it says in Yeridea. They don't have to follow what it says in Archaim. That's for us. But Chosh Mishpat, everything in Chosh Mishpat is Dinah. So but there is a quirk. <laughs> There's a Dinah in Chosh Mishpat that says, if two people come to town, and they're both selling the same thing, both selling toothpaste and toothbrushes and whatever, a lady's underwear, a jewelry or something like that, and one is a Tamachacham and one is a non-Tamachacham. So if the Tamachacham will sell all of the merchandise that he wants to sell first, in the first two hours of the day, he'll be able to sit and learn the rest of the day. If the Amoritz will be competing with him, so the Tamachachm will have to spend five, six, ten hours in a day to make his Parnosa. So the dinners in the Gemara, the Amoritz, the non-learned in Jewish person, has to let the Tamachachm sell all of his merchandise first, so that he'll be able to learn the rest of the day, and only after the Tamachachim sells all of his merchandise, then the Amoritz has a right to sell his. So one would have thought, I would have thought, you would have thought, that it's a din The Tamachachim wants to learn, so the rest of the Jewish community is obligated to support the Tamachachim and wants to learn. But this din happens to be quoted in Choshim Mishpat. I would have written a din in Yeridea, in the din of the Hilchas Tamirachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachach
There are dinim and mishnayos how to make out a will. When the will is binding, when the will is not binding. Dinim machusa cannot apply because all the people involved are Jewish. The one who's dying is Jewish and all of his relatives are Jewish. So he has no right to make a will uh, to leave money to other Jewish people. If he wants to make a will to leave money to a non-Jewish friend of his, to a non-Jewish neighbor, okay, dinim machusa will apply. But if he wants to leave a will to leave money to other Jewish people, to other Jewish institutions, not in accordance with the Dina HaTorah, so we will not apply Dina in the Machus. We have a Chosh Mishpat. We follow, uh, we follow the Halachim. Whenever all the parties involved are Jewish. There is a prohibition for a Jew to take another Jew to our cause, to secular court. Um, in rare circumstances, the Bezdin will permit one Jew to sue another Jew in secular court. If you see that you're not getting anywhere, if, if, you, if you try going to Bezdin and it doesn't help, then, then you have no choice. So the Bezdin will permit the person to go to secular court to retrieve the amount of money that is entitled to according to the Dine HaTorah. To, to get more money that is entitled to according to Allah, that will be Gneva. If both of the parties involved are Jewish, so he's not allowed to take more money than the halacha allows him to, even if the bezin gives him permission to go to Arkois. Uh, in rare instances, we have cases where both of the parties involved are Jewish, and they go to a bezin shal Yisrael, and the halacha says that the bezin has to pass in accordance with the din and the malchusa. What are those cases? So the um, shach gives a few exceptions to the rule. So he writes, one exception to the rule where we follow Dina Machus, we wouldn't follow Dina Yisrael. What if the Allah has nothing to say about the case? Let's say he bought something online. The Allah has nothing to say about this. So whenever the Allah has nothing to say, then the Shach says, we follow Dina Machus. The Chazanish writes in his Sefer HaChosh Mishpat, he doesn't understand what the Shach is talking about. Well, there is no such thing. There is no case where the Allah has nothing to say. Either the Allah says that Reuven wins or the Allah says that Shimon wins. If there's nothing in Shulchan Aruch, then whoever is Muqsa calls on to the money. What do you mean? The Allah has nothing to say. The Allah always has something to say about the case. So he doesn't understand what that means. But then you have another case where the Shach says an exception to the rule that you have two Jews, two litigants come to a dinter and the Bezin has to paskin in accordance with secular law. Uh, let's say when the people enter, let's say people are shudfim, or I sell you merchandise, or you work for me, uh, and we made up in advance that if there'll, any, if there'll be any dispute, we should follow din and the machusa. So you can make whatever tanai you want. The Gemara has a machlekes hatanai, whether masna mashakasa b'tar b'davish of a mammon, tanai kaim or not, and we pass called tanai shav a mammon kaim. Whenever you have uh, people made up in advance, not that I crashed into your automobile and we're going, that, that's not a hischaibis midas. That's the Torah imposes a chiv, chayval, mazik, gazlan, and so on. So then we follow Dina HaTorah. But if we entered into a contractual agreement and we said in advance, we want to follow Dina HaMachusa. So then whatever tonight we make in advance will be binding. So the Shach quotes from the Bali HaTorah that let's say there's a Jew who deals in business both with Jews and with non-Jews. So when he deals with the non-Jews, he has to keep in mind what the Dina Machus is. When it deals with Jews, he has to act in accordance with the Dina HaTorah because he keeps in mind what the Chaysh Mishpat says. So how does he know sometimes he's going to be a customer? He doesn't know whether this person is Jewish or non-Jewish. He doesn't know which way to screw his head on. Is he supposed to think in terms of Dina Machus? supposed to think in terms of Dina HaTorah. So the Shach quotes from the Baal Yateswis and the Mordechai, he quotes from earlier Baal Yateswis, that whenever a person deals in business, whenever the Jewish person deals in business with Jews and non-Jews, and when he deals with the non-Jews, uh, 
itself understood it's going to follow Dina Machusa. So even when he deals with the Jews, it's usually understood, it's, it's like a Dava Pashut, that he's going to, he's going to follow Dina the Machusa. And the Mishnah tells us that call Tanaisha the moment kind, whenever you make a Tanai in a case of Dini Mamanis, the Tanai is binding. And even if the Tanai was never stipulated, if it's self understood that that's the Tanai, so it's considered as if they made such a Tanai. The Mishnah gives you the following example. Let's say uh, I uh, have a job working for someone else, and he promises to pay me uh, $2,000 a week. Fine. Comes the end of the week, and I said, I put in the whole week's work, Erev Shabbos, I'm about to go home, I want to get my $2,000. He said, what? The halacha says that you have to work from Alois HaShachar till Tzeis HaKachavim. Alois HaShachar is what time did the Tanis begin the other day? A quarter to, quarter to six, six o'clock. So you have to work from six o'clock, Tzeis HaKachavim is five o'clock or so, 5.15. I say, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? He worked from nine to five. He says, no, the halacha says, you have to work from Alois HaShachar till Tzeis HaKachavim. So the Mishnah says in, in Baba Mitzvah, even though strictly speaking that is the din, but if he would have made up in advance that you work from 9 to 5 with an hour break for lunch and I'd pay you the $2,000 a week, so even though the din says he's supposed to work from Allah but if he makes a Tanaya, Tanaya is binding. So even if he didn't make a Tanaya, but that's the Minik Hamdina. In this area, everybody works from 9 to 5, so even though they never made a Tanai, it's self-understood as if they made such a Tanai. So the Shulchan Aruch said the same is true. That's what the Shach quotes from the Baleta, the same is true. If a person deals in business with Jews and non-Jews, and when he deals with the non-Jews, it's understood that he's following the Eden of so Even when he deals with the Jews, not to get confused, and how is he going to know who's Jewish, who's not Jewish? He can't always tell. It's not so easy. So it's self-understood as if they're always going to follow the Eden of in such a case, if they go to a Dintara by a Bezdin, if the two parties are Jewish and they both go to a Dintara by a Bezdin, the Bezdin has to pass in accordance with the Dina of the Machusa. Some Batidinim in New York consider this, this is uh, only people who went to university. Only the Shkotsim from Wayu went to university would say such a thing. Chazanish wasn't a Shegitz, he never went to university. He says it, the Shach says it, the Balayatesu said it, that's the Allah. Whenever it's self-understood that the Minik HaMokim is, if you follow the Dina the Machusa, it doesn't matter whether they went to university, he didn't go to university. The Alocha says that it's self-understood. Ki'ilu histen, as if they made it tonight, that they're going to follow the Dina the Machusa in such a situation. Going to secular court is a serious avera. A lot of people don't realize. Said in Shulchan Aruch that if a person is a, is a, if a person talks Loshon Haras, so we can't say he's possible to serve as a chazan. As a shlech unfortunately, lashon hara is a common aver. Person cheats a little bit on income tax here and there, even though we declare that he's a gan. If he knows that he's doing wrong, we can't really say it's possible. It is, unfortunately, uh, the president of the United States and all the congressmen and all the judges, everybody's in violation of cheating a little bit on income tax. So we can say, even though it's usher, even though it's bemezer, we treat it as if it's b'shegeg. But um, but if a person sues someone else, biarkois. Uh, a Jew takes another Jew to secular court, the Mishnah Burah quotes from the early Apostim, that's considered a serious aver that is not commonly violated, and such a person may not serve as a shliach tzibah. Habo be'akor is considered a serious aver, not stam, like Loshon Hara, a cheating on income tax. This is considered a more serious aver. People don't realize this. Many, many otherwise religious people uh, violate the Caesar are going to our course. Our course even applies in Eretz Yisrael, where the judges and the, and the jury, everybody is Jewish, but they're not following Dini HaTorah, they're following secular law. So Rav Herzog uh, wrote Bishaita when they founded the Medina, and they instituted all the whole legal system. So he wrote, unfortunately, since the Israeli government, the Israeli courts, do not follow Dini HaTorah, 
there's a bigger Isar of Arkos over there. You have Jews who are Paskin according to the Goyesha laws. So that's a bigger Avera of Arkos. The din that requires paying tax doesn't only apply to uh, income tax, it applies to uh, sales tax as well. Uh, if it's really the responsibility of the merchant who's selling the merchandise to pay the sales tax. It's not the responsibility of the customer who is buying. But if, the, but if the merchant says, if you pay me in cash, so I'll give you 10% off or something like that, so I'll give you 5% off, so we understand what he means. It means that he's not going to pay uh, sales tax. So Rav Solveitchik uh, was, uh, was asked this, Shiloh, there are certain shops where you know that you pay everything in cash and nobody pays any, they never pay any sales tax. So Rav Solveitchik said that you're not permitted to shop in such a store because you are in violation of it's not your Avera, it's the Avera of the merchant who's not paying the sales tax. But by you're doing business with him, you're enabling him to violate this Isa. So that's a violation of Lifneva now, if I hire someone and I pay him in cash, so it depends. Uh, if the person says, I would like you to pay me in cash, and it's understood the reason why he wants to be paid in cash because he, he wants to be paid off the books, he doesn't want to pay uh, tax, so then it's an isa, then it's a violation of lifni either. If the person needs cash today, and uh, it's not necessarily muhach that they're not going to pay the tax, they seem like honest people. Maybe they are keeping a record of all of the outside income that they make, and they are going to, they are going to uh, pay income tax at the end. So the Gemara says you don't apply, the Gemara says in Abu Dezar in the first paragraph, you don't apply the principle of Suffolk, the Raisa Lechumra. If it's a Suffolk Leif Neiver, you don't say you're in violation of Leif Neiver, me Suffolk. Whenever it's a Suffolk, whether the other person is uh, prepared to do an Aveir or not, so we assume there's no violation of Leif Neiver. It's only when it's almost, uh, when it's practically absolutely clear that he doesn't plan to pay uh, income tax, he doesn't plan, to, doesn't plan to pay the sales tax, then it's a violation of of Lesite Mirshon. Rabbi Yankov Kamenetsky is quoted as having uh, been asked to Shaila whether one is obligated to follow Didan Machus in respect to laws of speeding on a highway. So he said he doesn't think it's an issue of Didan Machus, the government says you're not allowed to speed past a certain speed because it's dangerous. So the Allah says, you're not permitted to do anything that's dangerous. The Gemara says, you're not permitted to do anything that's dangerous. And if the government has established, the government has committees, the government has uh, special people who determine what's the speed limit on this highway. So if the government determines that it's dangerous to go too fast on this highway, so you're not allowed to speed, not because of Dinan Machus, because it's a Sakona. Sometimes you have a summer camp, uh, someone has a backyard uh, summer camp that's not approved by the government. So uh, they, sometimes it's clear that they're not going to pay any taxes, so that's a violation of Lifni either. Uh, but even if it's not so clear that they're not going to pay taxes, these, uh, a lot of the camps uh, that are not uh, approved by the government are in violation of, uh, of, of safety regulations. So it's, it's also, be, also because of Sakana. You're not allowed to put your children in a sakana, and even though you want to save money by it, what kind of a cheshman is that? You're not permitted to do something that may possibly be a sakana. Regarding crossing uh, through a red light, see if my wife is going to the hospital to deliver a baby, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's no one on the highway. So then every legal system has a principle that the ends justifies the means. Every legal principle has like that. 
It just depends what the ends are, what the means are. Am I going to cheat money from the government in order to make a yeshiva? So those ends do not justify those means. But if you have pikoch nefesh, is decha kola terakula, except for avodizar gelevash v'chazdamim, so the ends do justify the means. My wife has to rush to the hospital at 3 o'clock in the morning, there are no cars on the highway, and everyone would agree, I'm allowed to go through the red light. That's l'choladeis, the ends justify the means. You have to figure out in each case. But let's say, let's say, there are other cars there. My wife is not expecting a baby. I want to get somewhere. I'm a little late for an appointment, for a business appointment, and, uh, and it's a red light, and I'm going to speed through, and no one's going to crash into me. Is that permissible? So that's also Geneva. The Allah says, based on the Pasuk, Tzedek, 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 So the Gemara says, why does it say twice, Tzedek, 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 What do you mean, Apshara? So the Gemara says, if you have a crossroads, and how are you going to decide who has the right to go? It's going to be a Balagan. It's going to be called the Alam Gbar. Whoever is, a, whoever is a, a more aggressive driver is going to always get his way. Whoever is a passive driver, he's not so aggressive, he'll always have to wait forever at the crossroads. So the Gemara says you have to institute some kind of a system to determine who has the right to go. So we, we live in a wonderful country that have a red light and a green light system. So whenever it's green light, you have the schus to go. Whenever it's red light, the other guy has the schus to go. So if I go when it's red light, I'm stealing from the other one the schus that he has. The government has an obligation. That's exactly the mokr and the chumish. The government has an obligation to institute such a system like red light, green light. It's better than what they had in the days of the Gemara. You don't have to have a policeman standing on the corner all the time. So not only is there a violation of Geneva if I put my hand in someone else's pocket and I steal his money, or if I don't pay uh, the money that I owe the government, that's a Geneva, because I'm cheating from all the other shutfim in the business. This is also called Geneva if I steal a schus that someone else has. Uh, let's say uh, the light is red and there's a car halfway down the block, and I'm going to run across the block. So I'm not really stealing his schus to go, but I'm stealing his schus to become. I would imagine that a person is driving a car and he sees that there's someone running across the street starts to get nervous. He's running against the red light and it's my green light. So I have, not only do I have the right to go, I have the right to be calm in driving. So if this fellow's going to run across the street when I have the green light, the one who runs across the street is stealing my right to drive with a calm, with a calm mind. He's not allowed to make me nervous when I'm driving. That's also Geneva. He's stealing my schus. So that's, uh, that, that's not really part of Dina, the Machus Dina, but it's the government has the obligation to inst- institute such a system based on the Pasuk of Tzedek Tzedek Tirdav, Echad Adin, Vechad Lepshor. People uh, a lot of times consider all of these things as shtick. They don't consider it Geneva, Gilishtik, but uh, as the rabbi said before, this is considered outright Geneva. We do a lot of things as shtick. Uh, children will always uh, sitting in class and they steal the other student's pencil to aggravate them then they put the pencil back on the table so people do that all the time so the Gemara says in Bob Metziah I steal something from someone else just to aggravate him a little bit I plan to give it back later on so the Gemara says that that's an Isa so the Shittim Kubetzes the Shittim quotes from the Shittim Kubetzes it quotes from the Ritva but it's Maisim Michal Yom people do it all the time so it can't be that it's an Isa there I said it's only an Asmachta and others say, no, it's Maisim Yom that people are violating Geneva. It's also Menater, it's a real violation of Geneva. And maybe, and even if it's not a violation of Geneva, it's certainly a violation of Oinu Azdvarim, to cause someone else to be aggravated. It's certainly a violation. 
These are real serious isurim. People shouldn't just uh, consider them shtick. We should realize that these are gnei, but we should review on our minds that this is part of our service adibras. It says in our service adibras, we're not allowed to steal from other people. True, based on the context of the original posting in our service adibras, goes on kidnapping. Because it's in the context of all of the prohibitions that have with them a punishment of, of death. But the Mephosh Machuimish point out that Parshas Mishpatim follows right after our service adibras in Parshas Yisrael. And the whole Parshas Mishpatim is to spell out the details of the Issa Geneva. The Torah writes in Aseris Adibus, there's an Issa Geneva. You're not allowed to take a moment that you're not entitled to. So what moment are you entitled to? What moment are you not entitled to? So Parshish Mishpatim spells out what's con- what constitutes Geneva. Whenever the other one has this Chus Maman, you don't give him the Maman that he's entitled to, that's a violation of Geneva. So we have to review in our minds, just like when we review the laws of Lashon Hara. So it leaves a little hashpa on us for a few minutes maybe for half a day. So we should review the dinam of Geneva, and this will leave a hashpah on us. We should realize that this is not the shtick, this is real Isuri Geneva. Good evening to everyone.